the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, second uh, report on Tucker Carlson coming up in a moment. Um, Very interesting conversation to be had. I did a pre-interview with him, John O'Connor, a lawyer who's written two books uh, on uh, Watergate, and a very interesting guy about how uh, abusive the FISA process, the national security warrantless um, the, the ability to execute warrantless, uh, wiretaps, um, for national security and the problems with it. And so John O'Connor will join us, uh, and a lot more, but first, uh, Tucker Carlson. So, uh, we're into the second day of the uh, January 6th uh, stuff. Now you may remember, I talk about it a lot, my own role in, uh, in assisting with the January 6th defendants and others and the families. So I've been aware of it, um, for a long time, but it is interesting to see uh people um suddenly become aware of how out of line the reporting the media and especially uh the the uh, select committee on January 6th and it it gives me good a good opportunity to pause and reteach and restate and point out how effective the narrative machine is the narrative machine in this country which is comprised of big media, New York Times, Washington Post, cable news, Sunday TV shows, big media, a Time Magazine, you know, all those big media, sort of legacy media, big media, big tech, Facebook, Meta, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all these different uh, YouTube, the uh, big media, big tech and big government. And in this case, big government was the apparatus, the select committee, it was the apparatus of, of big government supplying the sort of uh, raw material for the narrative machine. And so one of the things that was striking, wasn't it, is that the media in the last two or three days was calling for access to the videos that Tucker Carlson had access to. And you wanted to say, wait a second, guys and gals, why didn't you ask for access when the select committee was dispensing it in, in uh, targeted ways and, and what I would say was uh, biased ways? And they didn't object because they're part of the narrative machine. They wouldn't think to. If one of your partners in the narrative machine narrative machine says, here's the video, you don't say, give me all of it. You say, thank you. And you move on. And that's what the narrative machine, and the narrative machine, conservatively in my mind, conservatively, $50 million worth of earned media, so-called earned media. When you, what earned media is when you're a candidate or a business or a product and you get the, the TV cameras to cover you. Not because you buy an ad, but because you're doing something and they want to see it. The classic uh, political earned media was Donald Trump in 2015 and 16. Every speech he gave was like a phenomenon and everybody covered it. And that was free earned media. It's called earned media. Or if you have, um, uh, you know, something dramatic happens, uh, and somebody, uh, is, is highlights some car or, um, it's earned media, sometimes negative, you know, the Bronco that OJ was fleeing, uh, from, uh, the murder scene in or whatever. Um, in this case, 
tens of millions, I say 50 million conservatively, earn media by the select committee, big government, the Pelosi select committee with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and the breathless coverage. They were prime time. Some of the shows were prime time. They were article after article about investigations and who was involved and how they hired only the best. You know, they hired this and that oh, story after story, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And the coverage, big media, big tech and big government, the coverage built the narrative machine. And somewhere around, I would say, Half the country believed, believes still, that it was an armed insurrection, an attempt to take over the government, even though the people that were arrested for what can be described, I think, as a riot, those people, they don't look, they look a lot less like armed insurrectionists and a lot more like, I don't know, fools and nitwits, rioters. It's like when you saw Antifa scooped up, when they arrested some of them, you didn't say, oh, those guys are trying to take over things. No, they're just thugs, thugs and idiots. And the people, the rioters that actually broke windows or hit policemen, they look like they look like rotten people. They look like rioters. But there was no insurrection. But the $50 million of earned media, of the narrative machine, did a heck of a job of conditioning the country to believe that. And what you're seeing now is... Tucker Carlson saying, yeah, the narrative machine fed you some really, really, uh, some really fake stuff. And it's sort of breaking the spell a little bit, a little bit. I don't think it's breaking a lot of it. It's like the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. By the time the damage is done, you you, you know, you got 40% of the country thinks that Russia colluded with the Trump uh, campaign, when in fact it looks like Russia colluded with Hillary or Hillary's lawyers. But be that as it may. January 6th, the question is whether the hoax, whether the hoax spell is being broken enough that we can get past it. I hope so. I hope so. That's got to be the goal. That's got to be the goal because it's a disaster. But Tucker Carlson is doing uh, yeoman's work, um, but it's not enough. As I said last week, it's a good start. It's a very good start. I appreciate it very much to make this much of the uh, video available to Tucker Carlson or making the video available at this point to Tucker Carlson. That's good. Now it's time for the whole world to see it and to make it available to everybody and to make it so that everybody can, so you can crowd watch it, crowd review it, crowd critique it. You know, I think they say crowdfund or crowdsource. I guess crowdsource is what you, crowdsource is what you do, I guess, when you're doing the, that's the word they use. It doesn't feel the same way because crowdsource seems like you'd contribute. This is like crowd watch, you know, crowd examine, but we need the public to see it and go through it. It'll be messy, by the way. It'll be choppy. It'll be confusing. But it's necessary because we can't trust what we've been told. And as Tucker Carlson said, the uniparty, both parties that are in power, the people that are in office, they don't want to see us get to the bottom of it. They want to keep it power. But we have to. All right. There you go. That's what you need to know. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I wish sometimes that I was running the uh, 
the uh, video or the audio when I, before I start talking to our guests. A lot of times, like I just 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 did now, some of the conversations are even more interesting. Maybe maybe we'll try to live up to it, and maybe more interesting than what we're going to do on the air. But we'll try to live up to it. My next guest is John O'Connor. John O'Connor was on the show uh, a while ago, sometime last year, I think. He's a a very experienced lawyer. He was an assistant United States attorney uh, back in the 1970s and has had a very successful law practice. One of these kind of guys when you see his interesting cases there are all kinds of things from uh issues around OPEC to uh uh litigation I guess with Mark Cuban uh, or against Mark Cuban uh, but also some, somewhat famously Mark Felt was his client that's the guy who lo- later was revealed as Deep Throat and uh um John O'Connor is the author of uh The Mysteries of Watergate What Really Happened and uh I got him on John I got John because I was interested when I said let's let's get John on a few days ago before I went up to Capitol Hill and ended up having a conversation on what's called 702, which is 702 is the statute, the spy law that allows us to listen in with warrantless wiretaps. People uh, remember it because of the FISA under Trump, the use of the FISA applications and things looked uh, sloppy at best. So, And then I went up on Capitol Hill, I started to tell you, and, and lo and behold, they're talking about this up there, and one of the members mentioned it to me. So first of all, welcome back, John, to the program. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. Good to be with you, Ed. So first, um, you started to tell me off the air. Back when you were, Mark Felt was your client and Watergate was such a turning point. It really was the beginning of, uh, of this idea of, I guess, warrantless, uh, um, warrantless, what, wiretaps. And walk me through what, how it happened, what happened, you know, what the situation was. It was, is interesting to hear. Well, well, here's what happened. Uh, throughout our country's history, there's always been, uh, a notion that the commander-in-chief has certain powers that are outside the Bill of Rights. They're not un- under the Bill of Rights. Uh, they are commander-in-chief's discretionary national security power. And I'll, I'll give you one. It was illegal, as Abraham Lincoln recognized when he came into office, that he could not free the slaves. He did not have that power. Now, three years later, he frees the slaves. Why? Because of national security, the slaves were helping the war effort. He did not feel he had power to free the slaves in the four non-belligerent states, Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, Missouri. So that's an example of the commander in chief's national security power. Fast forward, Japanese internment in the war. Terrible idea, but the power was there. It just happens to be exercised wrongly. Supreme Court upheld it. Uh, there was nothing otherwise constitutional about it. It was a commander in chief's power over national security. Theodore, um, Franklin Roosevelt in 1938 authorized the FBI to have these powers, exercise these powers, mainly to hunt out communists and Nazis, which were very important. Even in the McCarthy days, when all the communists were identified, they were identified through FBI warrantless searches and wiretaps. Uh, and everyone in Congress and the Senate recognized the propriety of them. They were always recognized as proper, ironically, until Watergate, which my client, Mark Felt, helped in the sense of he helped the reporting of the Post. I don't think he understood everything that would happen because of his help. He wanted to keep the FBI clean and not have his investigation restricted. Nonetheless, the same time he was going into the garage with Bob Woodward, he also authorized warrantless searches of the PLO 
and the Weather Underground, two national security threats, the PLO right after the Munich massacres. In 1978, you had the church committee hearings, 1976, the church committee hearings that were supposed to look into abuses by the intelligence agencies. Everything about the CIA, and they did some terrible things, including Watergate, was all kept in uh, under private wraps. session. Under, private yeah, session. Under, yeah, under wraps. Okay, secret. Well, yep, so, yep. Okay. so the FBI got tagged as being the bad guys when they weren't. They were the heroes of Watergate. My client, Mark Felt, got prosecuted for his warrantless searches, even though they're perfectly proper. Uh, and Ronald, and he got convicted. Uh, and, uh, Ronald Reagan pardoned him, but that gave rise to the FISA Act. Now FISA, you can get warrants from the court, although they're not constitutional warrants. They're legislative warrants that basically say you're not doing this for political purposes or corrupt purposes. You're doing it for national security. Um, you know, mother may I, yes, you can go do it. So that's the short history of trying to control the idea that these national security searches might be done for improper purposes. And that was okay. the whole let me, let, John, let me, we're ta- let me pause, John. I want to, John O'Connor is our guest and uh, accomplished attorney and an author. His website, by the way, is uh, JOCLaw.com, JOCLaw.com. And there's a, his book. I'll post it up on social media. But let me pause and ask you a question about um, sort of the emergency power. And it may, you may not be able to answer it sort of completely, but I, I did have somebody come up to me in the last couple of weeks and say, you know, We've 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 done appropriations in America at the federal level under covid emergency, which means you can spend the money wherever you need to because it's an emergency. John, what happens when the national security emergency gets extended? It's one thing to say, okay, we're at war. You know, Pearl Harbor happens. We we have a threat from the Japanese nation. Therefore, we overreact. But it was allowed. We put people in camps. That's that's another debate on the wrongness of it, morally, ethically, whatever. But you now you have a situation where you extend the question of um, national security, I don't know, to COVID, uh, to, I mean, couldn't you make an argument that a lot of things, and, and then the argument seems to be so elongated that it's absolute power? Well, that's that's the taking it to its logical extreme. Yes, that's true. Okay. And that's why Mark Felt was always in favor of not having immunity through FISA. But rather having the agents risk their, um, you know, their 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 crim- criminality being cho- charged with the crime. It, it, that's the better sanction. If you do this, you better be right or we're going to charge you criminally. The problem with things like FISA we saw in Russiagate is, is it gives immunity to people like Comey and his ilk who buffalo the FISA court and get a warrant. Now that warrant protects them. And it makes it very hard for somebody like John Durham to prosecute him. So uh, now, what is the how do you curtail these powers? The only thing I can say is there's a limit to them. Uh, and I think they can probably be challenged uh, for abuse of discretion. Um, but it is a very you're getting right edge. You're getting right into the heart of the gray areas between the three branches, the right. founders constructed our government so that there were not bright lines between the legislature, the president, and the judiciary. The judiciary have always um, refrained from uh, getting into political questions, Uh, but it is really very difficult, like the question of whether Congress has power to 
um, you know, vote on a, on the Vietnam conflict. Is, is that an overreach by the commander in chief? Remember, that was not a declaration of war. So these things are very, very much in a gray area. Now, if we get to this 702, the law that is now being challenged uh, by Congress that is up for renewal does not involve FISA. FISA is a warrant process uh, where you can spy on foreign agents or identified foreign agents in this country, and you get a warrant. 702 is a different statute. It allows for warrantless. You don't need to get a warrant like you do under FISA. It allows you to wiretap conversations of citizens with foreign actors. So if I am talking to somebody in China today and the government has some articulable suspicion that I might be dealing with a spy or they just want to find out if there is suspicion, they can listen to me. Right. I think on balance, and I'm a conflicted conservative, and I'll tell you why I'm conflicted, like everyone else, like Andy Biggs and others, these powers have been abused, and we've seen it in um, Russiagate, we've seen it in the Hunter Biden laptop thing. Now, that having been said, I don't think we take away this power. We just have to have some mechanism, and maybe Biggs will get to it because he's a good legislator, some way of having a check on these powers so that somebody knows that they're being watched, so that perhaps in uh, a skiff, in a um, national security, uh, under the cloak of national security, Congress can oversee what they're doing as to these wiretaps. Uh, but basically, there are so many people, I'm in the Bay Area, how many people now are speaking to China that are citizens and may be spying on us? We've seen what's happened to Eric Swalwell and Diane Feinstein, just to name two in the Bay Area, which has a, uh, and, and it's not just China. I'm just using it as an example. It can be Russia. It can be anything. Uh, but I think we have to have that power. How Biggs and company tries Fig- to figure it out. Uh, um, is, 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 uh, we're talking with John, uh, John O'Connor again, uh, attorney, uh, a former prosecutor himself, a uh, defense attorney and an author uh, and and uh, expertise, at least in his books, is on um, especially on Watergate, which is the beginnings of, of this. A lot of this necessity for figuring out. Um, You mentioned um, the the threat, the internal threat, meaning and I and I this is what I tell people. If the Soviets were pretty good at planting spies and flipping people, and I don't know if they were good or bad, but the Cold War was a real Cold War. It was a real thing. That there's no reason to think that the Chinese, the communist Chinese, are not also equally um, uh, focused and adept. And um, we've had a set of policies that have allowed massive amounts of immigration, legal immigration. And why wouldn't we? And we know have, uh, you know, at least compromise people that were compromised in their loyalty if not outright spies right i mean that's the that's the overriding your your point here would be hey one overriding instance is that there's not it's not exactly the most peaceful time in terms of a sophisticated sophisticated adversary who would have um the ability to be hidden well that's right and ed as we know under these programs they've had over the last i don't know how many years for five hundred thousand dollar investment in america you can become a citizen uh, and so you tell me whether or not there are Chinese people who've come over here, started what looked like legitimate businesses, invested over $500,000 and became citizens. 
Um, I think we have that issue here, and I think we are really in an existential battle with China. It may be a long battle, but we're in it. And so I do think that any powers we have, uh, we must keep on the national security level. Now, that said, you and I were talking offline about this. How do you rein in uh, the folks that use these powers for partisan or corrupt purposes? Right. And that's what I think uh, Biggs and company have to figure out. And also in the Senate, they have to figure it out. But I, I trust Congress now more than the Senate. And, right. uh, and and maybe we can get some oversight on this. We should have some hearings, perhaps embarrass people who have done things wrongly and try to put them back in their lane. But that's uh, it all gets back. And I hate to say this because I keep going back to it gets back to Watergate. Once Watergate occurred, uh, that led to partisan journalism. It really didn't lead to bipartisan journalism. It was partisan journalism. And so what happens today is the left press does not hold the left in government to account. So they right. don't account for Russiagate, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And we have to have some way the press is not doing it. The media does not investigate. And unfortunately, I think we have to leave that to Congress, really the voice of the people, uh, and and for them to expose these things. That's the only avenue I can see where we can both have robust national security powers and make sure that our citizens are not unduly um Imposed uh, upon. spied upon yeah but would, would one of the would one of the solutions you started to say earlier be um be liability i mean in other words uh, uh, some sort of creation that you're not you're not sort of immune well not not sort of you're not immune from prosecution or other liability if you do this in other words that, that that's one of the great as you pointed out one of the great um uh, problems is you know they, they walk away and I, now again it would raise the cost of serving in government right and being in the law enforcement and all and i i think you'd get people that jump up and down and say oh we don't want our you know uh liability to accrue to a cop for example too too dramatically it'll change the way they do their job but when it comes to this uh fisa stuff it seems it seems like maybe that's one solution what do you, is that is that well, well it is and there was a case, Ed, not to get in the weeds, called the Bivens versus six unnamed federal agents. Right, right, um, sure. And the Bivens tort or the Bivens doctrine was alive and well when I was defending these suits. The gov- And that is when a an individual agent goes beyond his constitutional powers, he could be sued individually. Now, we have passed laws since then that disallowed Bivens-type actions. But I don't think that that was a bad way of handling the matter. It's a little messy. The government would pay for the defensive agents. Most of the time they were right and right. didn't pay damages. But at least the specter was hanging over them that if you did do wrong, you would have to pay. So the government yeah. defends you. But if mm-hmm. you do something wrong, you pay. And then the question is, to what extent the government would indemnify you if you were acting in good faith. Right. But. I think it's not a bad way to look at this is to say there should be some form, almost like New York Times versus Sullivan. If you go too far, if you go too far, such that you are right, right, intentionally the, the, yeah. wrong or reckless in what you're doing, may, may be subject to some sort of civil uh, liability. And that might be the way to do it. And uh, it, because that's that's the only way we're going to rein people in. 
I, I think you have to give some latitude for honest mistakes, for negligence, and that should be part of the standard. But I would re- resurrect in limited form the Bivens Doctrine, which has now been taken off the table. All right, John O'Connor, thank you. Uh, interesting conversation, important. Uh, John O'Connor, again, attorney and also um, an author, uh, and I will put up on social media uh, both uh, ways you can find out more about him. as a, a prosecutor in his early in his career and then uh, uh, across the board uh, practice law. And, again, let me make sure, John, I, I'm, I'm missing my uh, – my no, there it is. Uh, uh, oh no, the mysteries of Watergate. What really happened? That's the the main book, and uh, we'll have you back again, John. Very Ed, helpful. Ed, yeah. Ed, can I give my site? It's uh, oh, postgate. Yeah. It's postgatebook.com. Postgatebook.com, not JOC Law. That's my law site. Oh, uh, I think we gave you the wrong uh, we- oh. website here, but it's well, postgatebook.com. Yeah. And I wrote a book about po- postgate about how the Washington Post uh, covered up Watergate. And it's a good read for everybody who understands, wants to understand the partisan press. Okay, I see it now. Yep, I got it. All right, I'll put that up. Thank you, John. All right, John, I got to run. John O'Connor, thank you very much. We will take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, we had uh, Thomas Williams, Dr. Thomas Williams, on the program a number of times in the past. He is, uh, uh, has uh, been a writer and a contributor at Breitbart uh, over the years. It's one of the places where I've seen him break stories. He's also a visiting research fellow, was a visiting research fellow uh, at Notre Dame. Um, he's uh, written, uh, I think, about almost 20 books, as far I think I remember, and he uh, teaches theology in Rome. And you see him a lot uh, commentating on uh, most of the American media will go and ask him to try to understand what Catholic uh, thought is, what Catholic teaching is, and how it fits together. He's got a great presence. So welcome back, uh, Dr. Thomas Williams. How are you, sir? Ed, it is such a pleasure. You and I have been friends for decades yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I don't like to admit it. I think I was a kid and you were a big timer and I was just a kid when I was in Rome once. Years ago, I think, the, I think remind me if I get it wrong, the Synod of Bishops for America in 97, I was there that as was a it. yeah paritus. You were there, I think, translating and doing all kinds of things. But uh, that might have been the first time. But anyway, but um, but listen, congratulations on the new book. And um, I I am I'm telling you, it came together for me. I got your book sent to me, which I love. By the way, I love to get books sent to me. I'm reading it, and I know you, of course. But there's a book by a Protestant professor um, named Vadi Balcom. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Called Fault Lines, and in the I book, it's it's out by. Um, uh, Regnery, just like you're, uh, uh, no, you, sorry, you're Sophia Institute, Sophia Institute. Regnery did this book by Valdi Bauckham. It's called Fault Lines, and it's about how the evangel- ev- evangelical church is heading towards a crisis on all the woke stuff. And as I'm reading your book, and I'm thinking, you're describing, just like he does, that we're not going to escape this. We're, we're, we're heading towards this. It's going to be a challenge. I guess... Uh, Dr. Thomas Williams, again, his n- new book, The Coming Christian Persecution, so- Sophia Institute Press. H- how do you feel good about that? I mean, you're describing that something bad is coming. How do you <laughs> how do you get out of bed in the morning? Well, yeah, it's it's not a cheerful book. I mean, it's it's not meant to it's not meant to depress people either, though. I think as Christians, uh, hope is kind of our, our bloodline. It, it's something that keeps us alive. It keeps us going. It keeps us pushing forward. And really, if anything, the book is meant to wake people up, but also to, you know, get them mobilized, get them, get them excited also about this battle that's coming and that we're already in the midst of. 
and and really ready to do something. So I think it's it's more a call to action than it is a call to lie down and die. I mean, it's 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 not about you know just letting them roll over you. It's more about you know what's happening, why is it happening, what are the signs we can see around us, and what can we do to stand up to this. Um, we're talking again with uh, Dr. Thomas Williams about his book, The Coming a Christian Persecution, comes out the day after St. Joseph's uh, feast day. So it comes out on the 20th of March. Uh, I do that because my birthday is the 19th of March. But uh, and uh, so the coming Christian persecution. All right. In the book, I got I, I like to I tell my listeners, I read the I read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then I go bounce and back through. So I, I think the second or third to the last chapter. You write, persecution is a constant reminder that Christians are in exile and that our home is not in this world. It urges us to look elsewhere to place our aspirations in eternity. And that goes, and then in times, that's what? In times of prosperity, when everything's going well, it's tempting for us to come complacent, to allow ourselves to be attached. In times of trial, our gaze turns upward. Now, what I want to say is for a lot of believers in, in America, it feels more and more um, at least isolated, if not bleak. And so it does feel like sometimes it's find your own team, build a wall around your city and, and just, you know, get to the, the, get to the, uh, you know, to the finish line. I know you don't mean that because I see that in the book about, you know, get ready for this and all, but that feeling is almost becoming overwhelming. Yeah. I, I know I am so opposed to that head, uh, the fortress mentality where we just, hunker down and, you know, get our, our, our cans of soup and, and lie down on our beds and wait for it to pass. That's not who we are. Uh, Christians are evangelizers. They're missionaries by vocation. Every single Christian, you're, you're sent out to the world to make disciples of all the nations. This is not, you know, hunker down and, and you know, wait for the, the onslaught to pass. That's not who we are. So, no, if I, I hope I don't give that message anywhere in the book because I certainly don't mean no. to. It's more a question of, you take solace in the fact that if you you lose the battle today, you know, in the end, this is not what it's all about anyway. It's about this fight is important because it gives people a chance to enjoy the freedoms that we've enjoyed, to be able to practice their faith freely. Uh, and, and a lot of people, I think, are lost in times of persecution because it, it just becomes overwhelming. And, and we stand with them as well. This is about bringing our brothers and sisters along. It's about you know, telling people that there is hope. It's about, uh, you know, recognizing that this is something that we knew was coming. It's not a surprise. Jesus talked about it all the time, and we should be ready for it. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Dr. T uh, Thomas Williams, his new book, uh, which is out just in a few weeks, The Coming Christian Persecution. Um, another part of this, I made a note in the margin here. Um, did you, you've been, and we were joking about it, but you've been an observer and a participant in um, you know, Catholic Church, um, uh, ongoing, you know, uh, goings on, but also American politics. I mean, for now, I, I think we could say like 30 plus years as an adult, even, right? I mean, you know, I've been alive longer. It seems like it's really moved quickly to this persecution, hasn't it? I mean, it's almost like in the last, 10 to 12 years, it just accelerated up where what you thought would be um, something that might be in the future and might still come, you know, the old uh, Cardinal George uh, uh, um, kind of uh, famous um, phrase, you know, where he said he would end up, I don't, uh, you'll remind me, how did he say he said he'd die, he'd end up, he would die in his bed and his uh, successor would die in prison or uh, however it was, but um, it feels like it's accelerated. And when you describe in the book, um, what's, what's happening and how it's happening, are you surprised at the speed of it? 
I, I'm really surprised, I have to say. Uh, I, and this is especially in the West, in the, if we will, post-Christian West, because, you know, the persecution of Christians in other countries, in atheistic, communistic countries, in countries of, of, of Muslim domination, where that there are specific, you know, very radical Muslim trends. These are things that we are used to in a way, and we, in a way, expect it. But what we don't expect is in Christendom, in countries that were founded on Christian principles by Christian men and women, uh, looking specifically for religious freedom. I mean, it's so ironic to me that pilgrims came over to the United States because they were persecuted. They came because they were basically pushed out and were not allowed to practice their, their beliefs. And they came to America to set it up as a haven for religious people to be able to practice their faith and, and look where we are today. So yeah, it, it does. It surprises me. It, it scares me. Uh, because it's come so quickly. I, I remember just, you know, a couple of years ago watching my friend Amy Barrett getting grilled uh, because she was a serious practicing Catholic and, and almost didn't make it to the U.S. Uh, district court. That was, you know, because, you know, Diane Feinstein and Dick Durbin and, you know, they were just hazing her because of her faith and mm -hmm. because she took it so seriously. You know, the funny thing is that, I mean, there's a, there's a kind of Christian that is fine, that the world accepts and there's never going to be persecuted. And it's so tempting to be that kind of Christian. And there's a kind of Christian that you're always going to be persecuted because you are a sign of contradiction. And, and I think that it's kind of like in the old Roman empire, the ones who would burn the incest to the emperor and the ones who wouldn't. Yeah, and today right. there are a lot of, and, and the ones who become the most fierce and vehement persecutors are often those very false brethren, as St. Paul says, who have burned the incense, the ones who have gone over, if you will, to the other side. That's why somebody like Dick Durbin, who says he's a Catholic, was able to be so harsh with somebody like Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, this is yeah. the world we're living in. Yeah, it's um, Dr. Thomas Williams, our guest again. He's the Breitbart uh, Rome Bureau Chief. He's uh, author of many books, uh, teaches theology in the uh, University in Rome. And his new book is The Coming Christian Persecution, just in a few weeks from now, uh, available everywhere you buy books. Um, I, let me get, let me give you that quote because I don't want to pretend I quoted a Cardinal George. Uh, I, Cardinal, uh, George, late Cardinal uh, George said, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization. The, the, the cool thing about that and your book is it's a hard message. But Cardinal George was never a bitter dude. I mean, he was never a hard, bitter guy. You're not either, but your book isn't either. It's like, hey, these are going to be the problems we're seeing. These are going to be the things we're facing. But you just put your finger on something that I think a lot, again, a lot of faithful shake their head on. How is it that the the so-called self-proclaiming uh, religious, whether they're Catholics, you know, Pelosi says she's Catholic or so-and-so says he's a great Christian. And yet they are not only, not only the ones that hold positions that are so scandalous, but they're so, um, so unpleasant and nasty to other people. And somehow it's not, you know, called upon, uh, they're not called upon. And, you know, Eric Metaxas, who I know, you know, well, has a book, a letter to the American church, mostly aimed at the, at the Protestant church, of course, but it's been very popular selling a lot of copies of the book because he says, basically you aren't leading. The churches aren't leading. That feels like the churches aren't leading, uh, Dr. Williams. I mean, period. And people are, uh, at a loss because of it. Well, you're absolutely correct. And uh, and I, you know, you and I, I believe, are both Catholics and right. we see our own church 
in many parts of the world and, and even out of the Vatican. I think there's not a, a lot of great leadership there really telling us where we have to be, getting us into battle formation and helping us to, to see the path clearly. Uh, in many times, the church sounds more like an echo chamber for the UN on other, you know, these, these very... Uh, popular uh, slogans and very popular topics, but about the real core beliefs of Christianity, the hard teachings and, and, the, and the belief in salvation and what it takes, we're just not getting a lot of that. So, um, you know, it is, it is the, the time is ripe for a whole new generation of leaders. And I think both clerical and lay, I think pastors and, and people have to stand up and fill the void. What else are we going to do, Ed, right? I mean, because we can't just wait. Sometimes it's a question of, well, if there's nobody else, I guess I'm the one who has to carry the torch. Yeah, it's uh, it is a fascinating time. I'm glad that you did this book uh, when you did in terms of the timing, the coming Christian persecution, why things are getting worse and what you can do about it. Of course, I will say, Dr. Thomas Williams, one of the great uh, lessons the late Phyllis Schlafly said was in her book, she would describe what was going on. And then at the end of the book, you got to say what to do. And I know you do that in your book. You say, here's what's happening. Here's where it's going. Here's what you need to do. So uh, it's really uh, helpful. And thank you for doing it and for being out there like you are. We appreciate it. And it's such a pleasure always. And thank you for the important work you do. Oh, you're very, you're nice to say thank you. Dr. Thomas Williams, again, he's with Breitbart. If you go to Breitbart.com, you'll see his writings regularly there, but he's also a prolific author. I think it's up to almost 20 books that he's written. So we'll put all that up on social media, and I'm sure we'll talk to him again, and we'll take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast delivering a conservative pro-family perspective since 1983. As an author, speaker, and the founder of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Mrs. Schlafly spent an astounding 70 years in public service, protecting and defending the Constitution, the unborn, and America's sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Our government has just wasted $42 million trying to build a politically correct electronic dog for war, developed by the best minds in our private sector. Our Marines field-tested these high-tech dogs and said no thanks to replacing real battlefield dogs. These robotic dogs are certainly scary-looking, but our tough foreign adversaries will not be easily frightened. These electronic dogs can carry an impressive amount of equipment, which is helpful on the battlefield, and no one would have to bring food and water for an electronic dog. But the defect in these robotic dogs is that they make too much noise, which would tip off the enemy on the battlefield. These electronic dogs are louder than the noisiest garbage truck. A real war-trained dog knows how to be almost completely silent, so it can accomplish its mission without alerting the enemy. Sometimes social engineers who want to transform our military forget that in war there is an opposing side which is not trying to be politically correct, but is going all out to win. The other side engages in every horrific act to defeat us. If it takes a $42 million project for someone in charge on our side to realize that, maybe the money was not completely wasted. The cruelty of war has not changed history. Real war is fought by real men, real dogs, and real heroes. And the sooner we all realize that and stop trying to change it, the better off we all will be. 
It's a liberal myth that we can convert to a politically correct battlefield without any bloodshed. We cannot win battles with a cartoon-like army based on being politically correct. We need our finest men, plus man's best friend, real dogs. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you? At phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, I went too long on those interviews, so I'm a little long. I only got about 50 seconds. So let me just say thank you, as always, uh, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer who does a great job, and uh, also Ryan Hyder, associate producer. The Those guys help me uh, keep this thing together. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the Daily Wink. Uh, and uh, also all the rest of uh, what we're up to uh, at phyllisschlafly.com. So we will be back uh, tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.